What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Arnie's. We are three guys that wouldn't do well in any type of war setting. I'm Matt Johnson, and I still can never forget that story about Jake Gyllenhaal not bathing. <laughs> I'm Keith Baker, and it's good to see Jake's Prince of Persia beard back for this movie. And I'm Austin Terry, and I gotta know, what does it take to have your name included in your movie's title? It's a great question. On today's show, of course, we're talking about another spring movie release with Guy Ritchie's The Covenant. And yes, like Austin alluded to, that is the full title. Uh, seems like kind of an ego trip, um, at least a little bit. Probably they also did it to boost the box office a bit. Regardless, though, spoiler alert, uh, that strategy did not work. Another, like weird addition to that story is apparently it's to differentiate itself from 2006's The Covenant, which also begs the question, why not just change the title of your movie? Yeah, uh, let's get into it. Austin and Keith, here we are, like we said, with Guy Ritchie's The Covenant. I remember seeing a trailer for this, I guess, semi-recently, and I, I think my reaction was, oh, that looks pretty good, uh, but really no expectations for it beyond that. Did you guys have any, like, you know, expectations going in? And regardless, if you did or not, what are your non-spoiler thoughts on Guy Ritchie's The Covenant? Yeah, I remember seeing a trailer for this as well and being like, oh, wow, Jake Gyllenhaal's doing another war movie after Jarhead. And then it said directed by Guy Ritchie and I was all in. That's all I needed to know for this trailer. I got to say for me, it lived up to all my expectations. I thoroughly enjoyed The Covenant. Um, I would say it's one of my favorite movies of the year. Um, I think all the leads and the performances are great. I think the story that the trailers pitched you for this movie of a story of paying your debts and how we owe uh, something to these bonds we form in wartime is exactly what you get from this movie. Um, no major surprises here, but the performances are great. The action's incredible. And there's kind of an anti-war sentiment or maybe just a commentary on how America maybe owes some debts to our Afghanistan interpreters that helped us during this war that I found very interesting as well. Um, so overall... I found this movie incredibly enjoyable. Like I said, one of my favorites of the year, and I would highly recommend seeing this one in theaters. Yeah, I would too. I would say I also thoroughly enjoyed it. I came out of it really impressed, and I thought the whole thing was shot in a really cool way. The, the, way, they, the way they shot the tactical scenes and the shooting scenes, the soundtrack was on point. All the performances were great. Definitely different from your normal Guy Ritchie movie. You know, I'm used to him doing the Sherlock's and, and Snatch and the Gentleman and all that. So definitely kind of a different style for him. Overall, would, would definitely recommend going to the theaters. And like Austin said, uh, I think it really portrays like that whole story that's going on over there in Afghanistan in a, in a really uh, realistic kind of way. So would definitely recommend it. Yeah, I think I'm pretty much in line with you guys. I, I'd certainly give it a, a big thumbs up and a recommendation. I thought it was pretty solid, better than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I mean, it's another one of those movies. I feel like there's been quite a few this year, which I I don't know if it's a good or bad thing, but I don't have a whole lot to say about it. I just enjoyed my time, and I'm sure this movie is going under a lot of people's radar, so I think it's always good to recommend ones like that that people go see, uh, that they should go see, rather. Um, is it one that needs to be seen in theaters? I don't think so. I think this is one that people probably could get away uh, with just like waiting for and watching it on streaming later this year. There wasn't really anything about the movie that jumped out where I was like, oh, I'm so glad I'm in a theater. Um, still a good time, though. Uh, my only negative isn't even necessarily about the movie itself, maybe a little bit, but it's more like, I don't know, I guess Keith kind of alluded to it. It's a different style for Guy Ritchie, I guess, but I guess my problem is more just that it was kind of devoid of style a little bit. Um, one of my favorite things about Guy Ritchie is his kind of unique, uh, quick 
uh, type of humor, things that we see in a lot of his crime films, I guess, like, you know, Snatch or The Gentleman, uh, even the Sherlock Holmes films. I think when you watch those, if you didn't know Guy Ritchie made it, you'd still be like, oh, this is, this is like a Guy Ritchie style. And it's like, oh, well, he's the person that made it. I think lately he's done a string of movies that just, I don't know, there's just nothing about that that really screams him, which is a shame because I like the way his movies look and feel. Uh, kind of how I felt about his version of Aladdin. Was it bad? No, but it's like, why is Guy Ritchie doing this? You, you can't even really tell. Same with um uh, that Wrath of Man movie that we saw, Keith, with Jason <laughs> Statham. I think that was our first movie back in theaters uh, post-COVID. Um, it's like, yeah, it was a fine movie. I thought it was like a good action thriller, but it's like nothing about it's Guy Ritchie. It, this is kind of the exact same thing. Like, this is a good movie. Like I said, I definitely recommend it, but it's like, I guess I wanted to tell the stories that he wants to, but this one didn't really feel kind of like a Guy Ritchie movie. That's not to say it needs to be funny. It's just that it was just like a good, like, war movie. Um, but, you know, not as much style as I was kind of hoping for. I think where I found the style was in the cinematography and the way the action looks. I was definitely missing that, like, Guy Ritchie writing style. But I also think that, like, quippy, quick-witted stuff just wouldn't have fit this setting. Yeah. So I appreciated him doing something different for this one. And kind of putting all his energy into the action, because while this is like uh, almost like a commentary on the war in Afghanistan, it still is a very thrilling action movie. If that's what you're there for, I think you'll get something out of it, even if you look for it just for like the fun action stuff. Um, and so that's where I, that's really where I noticed it. And for me, I was like, yeah, this this is definitely that Guy Ritchie style, um, but the dialogue is very muted. But I also did feel like that dialogue fit the setting and themes of this movie. I agree. All right, cool. So there you go. It's always good to have a movie where all three of us recommend it. Again, do you need to see it in theaters? I don't know. But either way, if you go, you'll have a good time. If you wait to watch it later this year, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. Kind of sounds like that was our general sentiment. We, this was like a nice, decent surprise. We didn't know too much about it going in. Uh, so go check it out. Uh, the rest of the show, however, is going to be spoiler filled. We're going to get into all of the nitty gritty good stuff here. So if you haven't seen Guy Ritchie's The Covenant, like we kind of said that I'm sure a lot of people haven't yet or don't even know that it's a thing. I bet there's a lot of people that just haven't even heard about it at all. Um, go check it out and then uh, come on back to listen to the rest of our spoiler-filled episode. And Guy Ritchie would want you to know this is not the 2006 Covenant movie. Uh, this is Guy Ritchie's The Covenant. Right. And nobody's heard of the other one unless I'm like, <laughs> oh. like crazy there. I've never heard of that movie. <laughs> All right, everybody, welcome to Spoiler Territory. We're going to talk all things Guy Ritchie's The Covenant from this point going forward. And like Austin alluded to a few times now, this is not the 2006 film directed <laughs> by Rennie Harlan, uh, starring Stephen Strait, not sure, Sebastian Stan, whoa, uh, Taylor Kitsch, hell yeah, Texas Forever, brother. Wow, brother. <laughs> What's a... <laughs> oh, yeah, I was, I was going to say it was brother. Okay, that was the line from a... That show. What was that called again? The Terminal. Terminalist. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry I killed your family, brother. Uh, <laughs> all right. So it, this is not that movie. So if you're expecting spoilers on a movie from 17 years ago starring one Taylor Kitsch from the hit series, The Terminalist, why also, guys, get excited. Are you still excited about his spinoff that they announced, which can't be real? That, they must have just been pranking Taylor Kitsch with that one. <laughs> I just um, I need a scene where he kills Little Loose. That's all I want from the Taylor Kitsch spinoff. <laughs> lore. <laughs> lore and Loose. God, that gets me on a whole other tangent. You can't give somebody named Laura 
a nickname. Like she can have a nickname, but it can't be a short version of Laura. <laughs> just take the A it's, off. Yeah, of you're it. just taking off one letter. So now her name's Laura. <laughs> Same with Lucy. Yeah, you, you fucking off the You dug your own grave, so lie in it. You named her Lucy. Why are you now giving her a nickname of taking off one letter? I'm loose. <laughs> what I got from the way Taylor Kitsch played his character is that he didn't have a broad understanding of the English language, so finishing <laughs> words is tough for him. <laughs> Wait, Austin, are you talking about his incredible character uh <laughs> ben edwards i actually i was under the impression we were talking about the hit film john carter of mars <laughs> oh wow like going along the theme of laura or sorry laura and loose they definitely shortened that title they're like let's not call it john carter of mars which sounds intriguing let's just call it john carter <laughs> <laughs> You know, maybe it would have sold more seats if it was titled John or Guy Ritchie's John Carter. John, Guy Ritchie's John Carter. All right, guys. Well, unfortunately, we're not talking about any of those movies. Now I kind of want to watch a John Carter. I've never seen it. Maybe I'll watch that after this. Uh, but let's stick with Guy Ritchie's The Covenant. Guys, start us off with the cast and crew as always. All right. Well, if you couldn't tell from the title, um, Guy Ritchie's The Covenant is directed by Guy Ritchie, <laughs> who you may know from Snatch, the Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes films, The Man from Uncle, the live action Aladdin, and of course, The Gentleman. Um, it's written by Guy Ritchie, Ivan Addickson, and Martin Davies, and our score for this film is composed by a frequent Guy Ritchie collaborator, uh, Christopher Benstead. All right, and going into our cast, we have Jake Gyllenhaal as Sergeant John Kenley, Dar Salem as Ahmed, Alexander Ludwig as Sergeant Declan O'Brady, Anthony Starr as Eddie Parker, and Johnny Lee Miller as Colonel Volks. All right, guys, there's our cast and crew. Any positives, any negatives? What do we got? I don't think anybody is bad in this movie by any means, um, but I got to give my main highlight to our score composed by Christopher Benstead. Um, the theme he developed for this movie that kind of plays throughout the intense action scenes or even some slow stealthy themes, I think really elevated this film and kind of just up that suspension and tension you feel when they're in tough situations. Um, I just, every time that thing was playing, I was like, God damn, this thing is awesome. So got to give it there i also think all the performances are great but the main standout for me when i have thought about this film since i've seen it has been that score yeah i think that was one of the first things that i pointed out to matt when we got out of the theater was the score and the soundtrack um like you said austin like every time there's like a surprise scene i don't know what it was but there was like just certain beats and like even like i think maybe some like guitar in there as well that was um like super just thrilling and made it made it like kind of scary in a way um, as far as my highlight, I'll just go ahead and highlight Jake Gyllenhaal, Sergeant John Kenley. I, I pretty much like J Jake Gyllenhaal in most everything he's in, besides Ambulance. I never saw Ambulance, but um, <laughs> well, you don't Michael know that. Maybe you'll like him in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, great performance by Jake. Um, of course, um, one of my favorite military movies of all time is Jarhead, which he was so good in that, and so I think he brings the same. The same levels of this movie as well. You could definitely feel like the emotion behind his character, John Kenley, and like the weight he was carrying after um, kind of owing or feeling that he had owed this guy a debt. Yeah, great performance by Jake and the rest as well, though. Really, all of them I have to shout out. Yeah, and he has some great uh, monologues in this film, especially when he's breaking down to his wife why he has to go back. And then also when he is telling his colonel, like, pay your debts. Um, both of those scenes were just like stand out in this movie. Yeah, I did notice on our schedule we have an open week next week. Do you guys want to do an episode called Which is Better, Ambulance or John Carter of Mars? <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I kind of echo everything you guys have said. I think those are some great highlights. I'm going to take the other easy one. I mean, this movie is a two-header. Uh, yes, there is an ensemble cast, but really it's all about Jake Gyllenhaal and Dar Salim's character. So I'll take him. I thought he was great. Certainly a large part of the heart of the film. A very, I don't know, just like a very kind of like quiet, but still like a soulful performance. I thought he was great to watch. Um, I don't really have any negatives with this one when it comes to the acting, although as Keith probably knows, as I talked about it after, I was very just confused generally when it came to the other characters and what their affiliations were and who they were. Like, am I the only one that was just like baffled like who Alexander Lug Ludwig was? I was like, is this his brother? I was like, oh, no. And then he just like <laughs> randomly comes back throughout the, sh the movie. I was, like, I was thinking that, this? too, <laughs> especially when he gets back stateside. Like, I was like, who is this character? And then I remember <laughs> yeah. now it's the guy from the base. Yeah, <laughs> I could not figure out for the life of me because I turned over to Keith and I think I asked him out loud during the movie. I was like, wait, I thought. They were setting up Anthony Starr to be the bad guy. Like, I thought he was about to go after them. And then at the end, he's like, hell yeah, brother, you did it. Let's get you home. I was like, wait, what? I thought like he was like, like troubled that Ahmed was on. Anyway, I'm, get I'm getting ahead of myself. I was just confused about some <laughs> of the characters in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> well, before I continue to get ahead of myself here, um, you all know what we had to say. We all recommend this one. But what do the critics have to say? And I'm actually surprised. I thought this was going to be lower. Not for any reason in particular, but this is a very high one. So Guy Ritchie's The Covenant has received very positive reviews so far and currently has an 81% over on Rotten Tomatoes. Besides critical consensus is a satisfying, well-acted war thriller with surprising dramatic depths. Guy Ritchie's The Covenant tells a solid story with impressive restraint. This cost $55 million to make, which also a little bit higher than I would have guessed. I thought it was going to be maybe closer to the 30 range. And so far, unfortunately, with the opening weekend almost done, it has only made 6.3. Um, I got to blame that one on the marketing. Um, there just was so little of it. Like I said, I think I saw one trailer. I don't even think it was in a theater. I think it was like a YouTube ad. And like, I always skip those, but occasionally something will come on that kind of catches my eye. And I'm like, oh, okay. I ended up sitting through the whole trailer. But that was like literally the only thing I've seen about this movie was just one trailer. Yeah. And that's why I recommended seeing this in theaters because this is that rare middle budget movie. And yeah. I think it's really good. And so I want more of these movies to get made that tells a story that the director, whoever involved, is passionate about. Um, Guy Ritchie has talked about in some interviews that he is just appalled with the way our military kind of abandoned the interpreters and that's why he wrote and wanted to make this movie um so i, I kind of like that these passion projects are still getting to the box office and um i hope this one makes his money back but i was literally the only person in my theater seeing this movie so that doesn't seem very likely yeah i don't know maybe i don't know if people are like tired of military movies or something like that like i feel like they they did pump out a lot of them back in the day, but I feel like it's been kind of a while since I've seen one. So I think this one might have been a tough sell to the American public because this is a war that the American public largely wants to forget too. Um, mm -hmm. So that could be a reason why the marketing may have been muted. Yeah, I, I didn't know this movie was going to be even be about uh, the interpreters in Afghanistan. Really, I really didn't read the synopsis before going into it. Um, but yeah, it was definitely interesting to me though because I actually used to have a former coworker that was an actual interpreter like Ahmed's character. Uh, he's from Afghanistan, speaks four languages, and he's told me some crazy stories. A couple of the smaller things that, in the conversations that Ahmed had had with a, a couple of the uh, Taliban people was very similar to some stories that my uh, coworker had told me. So um, kind of cool to see that play out in a, in a movie and see how these people's lives are kind of on the line um, doing this, this crazy job. Yeah. I think this movie has a lot more heart than the typical, like, 
uh, standard war movie about how great the American military is. Like, I think it does raise some interesting questions about the people we left behind and should we have been there and, and things like that. Like, I think there is a lot more to the surface here than just, though, it's another war movie about the war in Afghanistan. Yeah, I like that it felt like a real story, even though it was fictional, um, which is kind of cool. Like, if they had thrown up, like, based on a true story at the beginning or end, I would have been like, oh, OK, that makes sense. But they just made it feel very real, despite being, you know, not based on any one thing in particular. And I like the angle, too. I, I knew it had the, like, interpreter element from that one trailer, but I didn't realize it was going to be uh, very much about that. And I, I, and I appreciated that because it was kind of a different take. It didn't do what Michael Bay does, which bothers me, which is, like, I don't know, being, like, overly patriotic with some of these stories, particularly the real life ones where it's like, OK, we're celebrating but there's a lot of bad stuff going on here. Let's try and rein it back a little bit. I thought Guy Rich and the team did a great job with that. It's like, yeah, I don't know. It just it felt very real without kind of compromising on any of the like negative stuff that, you know, obviously happened. So that that was much appreciated. Um, all right. Well, with that, um, since we're already kind of talking about it, I guess we can kind of organically transition into our roundtable discussion here, which is, of course, the main part of our show where each of us brings one or two points that we kind of want to focus in and spend a bit more time on. So we can kind of just keep going with this conversation if you guys want. But I thought it'd be nice to also bring in, uh, like we said, it's a two header with Jake Gyllenhaal and Dar Salim. Uh, we talked about how we thought they were both very good in the movie. But let's also you know, talk about those characters and like if there's anything in particular that we liked or didn't like. Yeah, I... Like we touched on, I thought both Dar Salim and Jake Gyllenhaal were fantastic in this movie. Um, I guess I wouldn't have mind a little bit more time to understand Jake Gyllenhaal's character and his background in terms of how his tour of duty has informed the way he, we see him in this movie. Because um, I think they say he's done four tours. By the time we meet him in this film, he seems very jaded, a little bit distant. And I like the way that kind of played into his relationship with Ahmed. Um, but I wouldn't have minded a little bit more backstory on his character especially towards the end of the film where he brings up to his colonel, like I saved your life eight years ago, just some of that stuff, a little bit more kind of fleshing out with his character. Um, but overall I liked that when we meet him, he's very different than like the typical commanding officer we see in these types of war movies. He definitely played it in a way that you can tell this guy's like been through some shit and he's not going to take any shit off of anybody. And then as far as um, uh, Dar Salim playing Ahmed, I thought that was cool too. Cause these guys, are playing like kind of two sides. They're trying to do a job for the U.S. military, but they're not U.S. citizens, so they're not really they're not really trained as much on how to take orders and all that kind of stuff. They kind of like put their own opinions in there, and that was kind of cool to see how that interaction works because he's pretty much there for contract work, and then his family is on the line, and these Taliban people know who his family is, know who his cousins are, his brother is, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I thought they played it in really really realistic way. Yeah, me too. Um, could we have used some more background here and there? Probably. It would have been maybe nice to flesh out a little bit. But at the end of the day, I think if they had added too much, then it would have started to feel maybe a bit too like other war stories um, or like films in particular. So at the end, I, I was OK with it. Um, I think mainly they just did a good job of giving us like just enough of their relationship in the beginning of the movie so that whenever, you know, Ahmed has to save him, there's like tension there and you understand why he would. Because uh, he's just a good dude, as they show in the movie. And then there was also enough time spent with them at the beginning so that it felt cathartic whenever they got back together towards the end. Um, and Jake Gyllenhaal's like planning to, you know, bring them all out, including his family. So I was like, OK, I like how they structured it. It ended up working for me. And I think the structure actually uh, benefited the two main characters here. Yeah, I think when it comes to Ahmed's character, 
I would have liked to have understood a bit more of what his motivations were, because I do talk about how the Taliban killed his son, and it, it obviously the visa to get to the U.S. seems really important to him to get his family out um, of that situation. So I would have liked to have known a bit more of, are you doing this uh, to get vengeance for your son? Are you doing this to get the visa? Are you doing this because you care about the mission? Like Things like that, I think, would have been helpful to understand. But I think at the end of the day, what it came down to is Ahmed's a guy that can't leave someone who's hurt behind. And when Jake Gyllenhaal's character gets hurt, he's not just going to abandon him. So I think you get enough to understand his character, but they do introduce some of these other threads where I, was, I kept wondering if like the stuff with Ahmed's son dying, was that going to come up later in the film? And, and things like that kind of never get addressed. So we kind of touched on it a little bit earlier. Uh, there was some stuff that was kind of hard to follow, especially with Alexander Ludwig's character. And Matt and I were kind of laughing in the theater <laughs> at some point. We're like, why is this like, who is this guy? Why is he, why is he in every scene? Uh, why is he, why is he in his house? <laughs> oh my god, that was so confusing because I thought that was Alexander Ludwig's house, and then I thought he was his brother. So I was like, maybe they live together. But then clearly later in the movie they show that's Jake Gyllenhaal's house. I'm like, why is this so confusing? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I kept thinking that he was gonna all of a sudden play a bigger part. I mean, Alexander Ludwig's like a decent enough name, like people recognize him. And then ultimately his role by the time the credits rolled is <laughs> I'm friend of Jake. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's my role. Um, even uh, Taylor Kitsch's seminal work as Ben Edwards uh, got more love in that regard <laughs> in his hit show, The Terminalist. I thought um, they were going to go back together. Yeah, I wasn't. I guess that's what I mean. Isn't that what they were like setting up? It seemed like. And then no. I was like, oh, okay. Uh, same thing with Johnny Lee Miller, also a very well-known actor playing the colonel here. And I was like, is he going to have a bigger role? No, not really. He's just in like three scenes and like looks angry sometimes. And that's kind of the extent of his role. I did think he nailed being on the other end of Jake Gyllenhaal's speech, though, because yeah, yeah, sometimes yeah. it's hard to react to like a really intense monologue. And the way he reacts, you're like, you can tell Jake Gyllenhaal is like driving a nail into his soul of like, yeah. I'm going to get this done for my buddy Jake. <laughs> my friend everybody in this movie is friend of jake basically <laughs> i guess i would call this my biggest issue with the movie um and it is a bit just the third act in, in general because the first and second act i think are fantastic um especially with ahmed getting jake Hall home like that whole sequence was incredible, very tough to watch. Um, you really feel for Ahmed in those scenes. Same with the first act, like the combat and stuff. And when it leads into the escape and evasion, I thought was really well done. And then the third act, like I knew from the trailers at some point, Jake Gyllenhaal was going to decide to go back to Afghanistan for Ahmed. But the third act just seems way too easy uh, compared to the first and second acts. And everyone's telling him like, this is going to be so hard. Like, you're going to need a team. Um, even the private military group is like, I would wait and just take a squad with you. And it, he really just kind of drives up and, and gets him. And they just have to wait for the plane to pick him up. So that's my biggest issue is it just the third act didn't feel as tough as the first and second act did. Yeah. With the first two acts in particular being so visceral and particularly grounded, I agree with your sentiment that the third act does seem I'm not going to. Yeah. I mean, relatively not too hard based on they just shouldn't have they shouldn't have had all the characters around him telling him how hard it was going to be yeah <laughs> only for yeah. them to not be that hard. and it's also kind of the cardinal sin of like i understand why they did it and i know a lot of these stories and a lot of movies and just like stories in general have kind of that deus ex machina at the end i mean literally when they're all pinned down at the end there and it kind of goes into a pseudo slow motion type thing there is a moment where you're like damn how are they going to get out of this and 
as I said that to myself, I was like, oh, I hope it's not just something as simple as like someone else comes and saves him. And again, is that this movie's fault? Like I said, we see that in everything. But it was it, it kind of, um, I think, major points stand out even more that it wasn't too hard because at the end of the day, um, they didn't get themselves out of the situation. It's just Parker and his team came and paid their debt and saved them. And it's like, oh, OK. <laughs> so that's kind of how it ends. It's like, oh, OK. I mean, it was still cool, but a little bit lame, I guess. So I, I totally agree. It was kind of jarring how relatively easy it seemed to save him based on the setup previously in the movie. It also is weird that they introduced this whole other team and their only role was to say, sorry, John, can't help you. Good luck. And then they send him on his own. It's like, why are you in the movie? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That's a good question. <laughs> Thank you, friend of Jake number three. Oh, there's so many friends of Jake in this film. <laughs> So what did you guys think of like the tactical shooting? Uh, like they have a lot of surprise shots in there as well. Like when they're running down like the, the switchbacks and the cliffs. Uh, so what did you guys think of how it was shot as far as the action goes? Yeah, the running down the cliffs I thought was like you just felt how tough it was because the way they were like sliding and rolling and like losing their weapons. Like there's no way I'd be able to run over that type of terrain easily. Um, I thought the shootout with Dick Hall's like full squad involved was really cool. Just the way they like take up tactical positions and are able to hold out for a good while just because of the way they position themselves. And of course they do get overrun. I think the standout shot for me in the movie though, is when Ahmed is in hiding after returning John Kinley back to the States. And uh, he has his friends on the phone with him and the Taliban are hunting for him and he has to like get his wife out of their house and they're directing him through the back door and like all of that, just the way it's one take so quiet, you have that great score kind of building as he has to go stealthy. Like, that shot, I think, is a standout for me in this movie. Yeah, I thought all of the action really uh, was shot super well. The movie itself is shot very well. It just looks very crisp, has a good look to it, a good feel, like we kind of have already talked about. But yeah, the action, like I, like I said earlier, it's um since there isn't as much um, as there is in a lot of these types of stories, I think every time there is, it kind of catches you off guard in a good way because uh, the characters are also being caught off guard. So it's very surprising. It looks good. It moves quick. Um, it's definitely super effective without question. Shout out to like kind of the big trailer shot though. I just thought, you know, it, it's nothing like crazy out of the ordinary, but it was, it was just a great way to do it. And I like the restraint, um, of whenever Jake Gyllenhaal gets like bashed in the head and he's clearly dazed. And then it's like a couple seconds go by. And then like the stream of blood comes out from like under his, uh, hairline uh, that was like the one scene that I had remembered from the trailer. And when that happened, it's like, I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, that, that really worked. It's nothing like extraordinary, but like they put in like enough like familiar things or just like good shots. That like, oh, wow, that was wow. OK, now I know that he's really fucked up. So there's <laughs> lots of good stuff like that in there. Yeah, definitely shows like a, a severe concussion in a real yeah. way. Like you see in a lot of movies, like whenever they just go up behind somebody and hit them in the head with a, the butt of a gun and they're yeah, like, they, and they like get knocked out whenever they wake yeah, up. They wake basically. up they're like, oh, what happened? Like, oh, OK, I'm good. Let's go. Like realistically, if you get hit in the head like that with the butt of a gun, you're going to be severely concussed for a while. Like he yeah. was. <laughs> Another standout for me, too, is it's a quieter scene. But when it's Ahmed is trying to get this makeshift wagon up a hill and he has to take a break and just like weep oh, yeah. for a few minutes. That yeah. scene, I was like, God damn, like you just kind of really feel for him. And that's yeah, yeah. And that's another great cinematography moment, because then that's when the camera kind of pulls out and you realize, oh, he wasn't even close to being at the top of that hill. Like he has so much further to go. As the camera like pulls back and like shows you like the scope of what he's walking up, you're like, fuck. 
I also thought this movie did a good job throughout their journey of showing there are some people that are sympathetic to the Taliban, and then there's also a lot of Afghanistan citizens that are not sympathetic to the Taliban, and some of them are willing to help Ahmed, um, and others are willing to turn him in. So having to kind of play that chicken and mouse game of like, do you risk trusting these people or get supplies like in another area? Like that stuff I thought was cool. And then also like Ahmed having to walk through Afghanistan towns being burned to the ground because the Taliban are searching for them. Like him having to deal with the fact that he's doing this and it's hurting other people in his country. Like all of that. I just thought it was a very, the second act, I think it's a very emotional journey in this movie. I think my favorite part about this movie is that, you know, it's nice when stories like this, whether it be in this form of media or another, you know, whenever you learn something, you take something away, like from basically any point going forward in my life, I'm always going to be a, more aware of this situation when it comes to interpreters in general and kind of the role they play. You know, Keith, you told that story about someone that you knew that did that. Um, but I just hadn't really thought about it before. And this movie kind of made me super aware of that. Um, so, yeah, I'm happy for Guy reaching the team in that sense, too. Yeah, but I, I completely agree, especially with that second act, like very emotional and made me like really think about like this movie for quite a bit after. And, you know, what I just mentioned was like, wow, I'm going to I need to be more aware of kind of the, that situation with interpreters and the role they play. Um, yeah. So I was happy about that. And I think this movie is coming out at an interesting time, too, because, um, of course, the big theme of this movie is paying your debts, whether it's the fictional debt between um, Dick Hall's character and Dar Salim's character or just the real life debt that our government owes to the interpreters. Um, I think it's been over a year now since we pulled out of Afghanistan. And so it, it, that news has kind of fallen out of the public eye in terms of just like American media and the news we cover because our news cycle changes so much. So it's interesting that maybe a story like this could bring um, that war kind of back into the public eye because at the end of the movie, it, it comes up and says, since we pulled out over 300 interpreters have been murdered by the Taliban for helping our government and they didn't get their visas. So that is... Of course, there's the fictional debt in this movie, but zooming out a little bit, the broader kind of core focus of this movie is the debt that we owe the interpreters that helped our military and then we left behind and we pulled out. Yeah, definitely an awareness that needs to be made. And not just the interpreters themselves, but their families and everything like that. They're probably all being captured and maybe murdered as well, too. Yeah, I feel like sometimes movies have like text at the end and sometimes you kind of roll your eyes. I think it's just a thing people put in there occasionally it's like and here's what happened next it's like uh, just i don't know i don't know if i need to see this uh, but this <laughs> one was incredibly uh powerful and like oh man it really gave you that sinking feeling and again even though this is like a fictional story hitting you with some of that realness at the end it's another reason why i think this movie is going to stick around for the people that you know chose to go see it i think they're going to be thinking about it for a while and having that awareness is really great and just like you said Austin, i mean having pay your debts have that literal meaning but also just having it be like almost like Jake Hall's kind of like his mantra and his catchphrase. Like it kind of works in, in both ways, uh, having that come back towards the end. Like I said, was it very like Deus Ex Machina whenever like he gets, they all just get randomly saved by Parker who shows up again. It's like, yeah, it was weird. But paying your debts was a good way to kind of soften that a little bit because it's like, okay, I like that that came back. And like you said, that's that Johnny Lee Miller reaction or sorry, Johnny Lee Miller, a.k.a. front of Jake number two. Uh, <laughs> his reaction to that was um, also great. So there was some goofiness towards the end, but having that line keep coming back, not just for, you know, the debt we owe the interpreters, but also like for these characters in this movie. I was like, okay, I like that as it's a good mantra. Um, so yeah, d like a nice way to close out for sure. I also thought the kind of text at the end was well-placed because the movie closes with Ahmed looking at his visa and you're like, 
yeah, the Americans did the right thing. And then a text comes up and it's like, actually, we left all these people behind and they're all (laughs) being killed or murdered because of the choices we made. So it has that like rising moment of like, you're really happy for these fictional characters. And then immediately you're brought back down to earth of like, actually, here's how the reality of the situation is. Mm -hmm. Shows what's possible. But then, yes, shows the reality. But it's like, would he have gotten that visa if he had not like saved a decorated like white guy? Exactly. Yeah. Kind of interesting. Because the contract is just, you interpret for the military, and then you get your visa. It doesn't say you have to go save a soldier. Like, (laughs) you're you're just there to interpret, and they're still not getting their visas. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, well, I think that's kind of a good place to close out, guys. I gotta say, even I think after talking about it, I like the movie more than I already did. Uh, So, if you are somebody that watched this movie and are sticking around through our spoiler talk, or even if you didn't see it and just like listening to our spoiler talk, uh, go see it. Go support it. Uh, I think this is one... Uh, worth celebrating and enjoying and witnessing. And even because of like the real story and the awareness it brings, I think Austin's right when we talked about uh, the critical reception uh, and the box office, like we've talked about it before, but yeah, these kind of these more middle, like closer at least to mid budget movies don't really happen anymore. You get your like $10 million indies or you get your 100 plus million dollar superhero movies. And even that like 100 million plus budget is like happening to other movies. Like I remember like recently, I read like Nancy Myers' next rom com with this huge cast, like on Netflix or something, has a budget of like 150 million. I'm like, what the fuck? It's a rom com. <laughs> what are you guys doing with all this money? Um, what did Renfield cost? Like 75 million dollars? I think so. And even that seems like Jesus. Like, why yeah. does that cost That's that much? That's crazy. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I think it is important to celebrate these movies, and it sucks because it's like really hard for them to make their money back. So then it's like, will we get more stories like this? I don't know. I enjoyed it. I hope you all did too. Um, but before we close out here, let's do some awards, guys. It's time for our Arnie's Podcast Awards. This is the part of our show before we close out. Where we take something from the thing we just watched, whether it be positive or negative or something in between, and we just give it an award. So, guys, what's it going to be today? Yeah, I'm going to give an award that I think is uh, near and dear to all three of our hearts. Um, and it's the best Jared Leto outfit impression. Um, the three of us are people who have seen Jared Leto's band 30 Seconds to Mars in concert. We saw him wear um, a weird kimono with then dishwashing gloves out on stage. And we were like, why is he wearing that? That's weird. Um, but Jake Gyllenhaal wears like a robe with sunglasses to when he's undercover in Afghanistan. And the whole time I was like, looks like something Jared Leto would wear on stage. So the best Jared Leto impersonation goes to Jake Gyllenhaal. Congratulations. <laughs> I'm going to give the Dominic Toretto Award to mm. Ahmed. I was I mean, thinking about this award, actually. He had a nice greasy scene there. Whenever we see Jake Gyllenhaal dresses Jared Leto, fixing that that car, and I was like, "Man, my boy Dom would love this guy." So yeah, <laughs> he would. Maybe Darcelim can replace Vin Diesel as a good actor. <laughs> <laughs> Darcelim. Well, we we do know for sure that Darcelim is a good actor, and Vin Diesel is unfortunately not. I laughed so hard today whenever I saw some picture on Reddit. It was like the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 press tour, and it's like all of the live-action actors, and then for some reason, Vin Diesel was there. I was like, what is he? what do he and Chris Pratt have to talk about? Like, is he like... Does Vin like think Groot is like a way bigger deal <laughs> or like like his involvement in it? Like he for like since 2014, he walks into a booth for like two hours, says I am Groot a few times, gets paid probably like 10 million dollars, then goes home. He doesn't know these guys at all. <laughs> but you got to understand for Vin Diesel, he's not there to talk about Guardians. He's there to recruit Chris Pratt to the next Fast 11 mm-hmm. movie. That's actually not a bad call. I, I yeah. guarantee you he talked with some of those people. He's about a poacher. The next one. <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. 
All right, guys, I have a, a different kind of award. It's kind of a two-parter. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call this one the positive and the negative award. Uh, but they go to the same person. And it's Anthony Starr is getting the positive and negative award. The positive is, I got to say, you know, we like Homelander. We like the look. It's iconic. But I think Brunette works for him. And apparently that's his natural color. And I was like, okay, that's a positive. You get that. Unfortunately, it comes with a big negative. Um, hence the award. <laughs> um, uh, while filming this movie on March 4th, 2022, it was reported that Starr was arrested in Spain after assaulting a 21-year-old chef at a local pub with a broken beer bottle. <laughs> he was sentenced oh to God. a 12-month suspended prison sentence and paid 5000 bucks in restitution to avoid prison time. So, you know, his hair looked good, but there's also a negative to it. <laughs> and it sounds like if he's a big fan of assault, then him and Ezra Miller should hang out. Oh. Wow. Interesting. All right. Well, let's close out. <laughs> Intriguing. <laughs> I'm a doctor. Uh, thank you, everybody out there so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and Austin's pitch for an Ezra Miller and Anthony Starr team-up film, make sure you hit that follow button so you never miss our upcoming content. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, we'd really appreciate that to continue to grow our show. Please leave us reviews as well. Even if you don't want to write anything, leaving us a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts really does help us out. At the Arnie's is our social, and the Arnie's.media is the website. We'll be back next Tuesday for another episode. Like I said, it's an open week, but... If you see something pop into your timeline called, is Ambulance better than John Carter of Mars? It all started here. In <laughs> <laughs> uh, last week, it is spring, so that, of course, means we need to talk about a new Nicolas Cage release. Uh, so we put out our thoughts on Renfield. Um, spoiler alert, the only good part about that movie is Nick Cage. Everything else is pretty terrible. If you want to hear us go deeper on that movie, be sure to go check that episode out. Lastly, we want to hear from you, so please send us a message on Instagram at the Arnie's or email us thearniesmedia at gmail.com. What did you think of Guy Ritchie's The Covenant? Do we want a Prince of Persia too? Anything you say we'll read on the show and react to it live on our latest episode. That's right, everybody. We hope you enjoyed this one. Have a great rest of your week. We'll see you next time. And Keith does bring up a good point. Do we want more movies where Jake Gyllenhaal, a white man, plays Middle Easterns? <laughs> it's a good question. <laughs> <laughs>